0: All right, if you guys got your Bibles, go ahead, open up to Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2. Well, uh, speaking of my parents, uh, ever since I could remember growing up, uh, mom and dad would often read to me every night when they were tucking me in, and they would read to me God's, God's Word. Uh, whether it was a a children's picture book or uh, whether it was um, like a a picture Bible, a children's storybook Bible, or whether it was the actual Bible as I grew older. Uh, But it was during one of those nighttime readings that I specifically remember with my dad. I remember being hit with the realization for the first time that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And it was on that night that I confessed my sin to God, and I put my faith in Christ's work for me on my behalf, and I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And for a moment, I want you guys to think about that moment that you had, all right? I want you to think about that time when you first put your faith in Christ. And maybe for some of you it was at a really young age. Maybe you don't even really remember a time in your life that you didn't love Jesus and you weren't following him. Or maybe you don't have a specific moment and a specific day that you remember, and that's okay if you don't. But maybe there was a, a season of life that you remember where God was relentlessly pursuing you and opening up your eyes to his goodness and his glory. Or maybe for some of you, it wasn't until your adult, uh, adult years that you came to faith in Christ. And there was this dramatic life change because you had lived for years apart from God. And then he all of a sudden shows up and turns you back to him. Or maybe for some of you, you've never put your faith in Christ. And if so, we're glad you're here this morning But I'd encourage you to to talk to someone, to reach out to someone We don't want you to go another day without knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior Perhaps today might even be the day of salvation for some that are in here But many of us, we have this memory, right? We have this memory of coming to Christ We heard the gospel proclaimed and something was awakened in our hearts Right? We heard the good news that God saves sinners. We heard the story right, that God had created everything in this world and he had created it all very good and he created human beings in his image, meaning to reflect his character and nature in his creation as well as to be his representatives of his rule and reign. But we're told very quickly then in that story, right? In the book of Genesis that Adam and Eve did not trust the good words of God, but instead fell into sin. And ever since then, all their descendants have not trusted the words of God, but have instead turned to their own ways, therefore rightly deserving the penalty for sin, which is death and separation from God. But then our hearts were lifted as we heard that God had provided a way for us to be saved through jesus who is fully god fully man who came to earth and lived the faithfully obedient life that we failed to live he perfectly trusted the will of the father unlike adam and eve and all their descendants and then he went to the cross in our place and paid the penalty that we deserved And three days later, then he rose from the dead, defeating Satan's sin and death. And he ascended into heaven where he is now sitting on the throne, ruling, reigning, and restoring his people and his creation. And he now offers to us a salvation that does not have to be worked for. It does not have to be earned, but he lovingly and graciously offers it to us as a gift through faith in him. And, and, and the faith in him is maybe sometimes confusing. We sometimes have different definitions of what faith in him looks like. And so up on the screens, we'll have uh, uh, the question uh, that is asked in the Westminster Shorter Catechism that I think helps us understand what this faith thing is. And so in the catechism, it asks, what is faith in Jesus Christ? And it answers with faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest. Upon Him alone for salvation as He is offered to us in the gospel. It is when we receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation that we are justified, meaning we are declared right before Him, since God has taken our sin and given us Christ's righteousness. And therefore, it is through Jesus that we have been ushered back into the presence of God. And this great salvation has been offered to us all by God's grace, meaning his undeserved favor, through faith, through us receiving and resting upon Jesus. Salvation is not our own doing. It is not a result of our works. It is a gift of God. Amen? And many of us, we, we believe that, right? We believe that for salvation. It's how we began our life in Christ. But then when it comes to continuing in Christ, we say, hey, thanks, Jesus. We'll, we'll take it from here, okay? Like, thanks, thanks for all that. That's how we began. But now continuing with him, Jesus, we'll, we'll take it from here. And, and this morning, we come to two really important verses in the in Paul's letter to the Colossians, okay? It, it, the, these two verses pretty much summarize the entire letter. It's the hinge in the book where Paul starts to make the turn. And so if you haven't been paying attention thus far in our study of Colossians, or if you plan on, on like checking out on me the rest of the summer, you picked a good Sunday to be here, all right? Because these two verses are it, all right? This is it. If you can get this, you can get Colossians. And uh, we We've we've titled this series in Colossians, Mature in Christ, right? So if you want to know what it looks like to live a life that is mature in Christ, then here it is. Here it is. In these two verses, Paul is going to tell us to continue with Christ like we began with Christ. He's saying, continue like you began. And here's what I mean. We began a new life in Christ by God's grace through faith. Therefore, we must continue in Christ by God's grace through faith. It's been well said that the gospel is not just the door we enter into the Christian life. It is actually the roadway that we walk upon every day. We must continue to walk today in the same way that we began with Christ yesterday. God justified us through faith, and he is sanctifying us through faith. Okay, we must continue how we began. And so we've got to understand this, all right? We've got to look at this, and Paul is going to help us try to understand this by giving us a few illustrations in these two verses, and then he's going to give us a self-assessment diagnostic test at the end to see just how well we are continuing how we began. So you can look forward to that at the end of the sermon, all right? There's a test that is coming that Paul is going to give us that will help us understand how well we are continuing like we began. But let me read these two verses for us, Uh, and if you guys don't mind, go ahead and stand with me uh, out of respect for God's Word, and uh, hear God's Word from Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. He writes, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray. Father, this is your word, and these, Lord, are your people. and we come to your word this morning asking that you would you would give light o oh lord that you would illuminate your truth to us lord help us not have hard hearts help us not just see this as another routine thing we do on sunday morning lord we want to walk out of here different than we walked in and your word is the only thing that can accomplish that. And so we ask, Spirit, that you would deeply root this in our hearts in a transformative way. Help us hear. Help us be sensitive to your convictions and your promptings. I ask that you would give me clarity of thought and that you would help me articulate concisely uh, and effectively the truth that, is, that are in these verses. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Walk in Him. God gives us a command here, right? He says, walk in Christ. Walk in Him. But as... As is often the case, what, what God calls us to do is primarily based upon what God has done, okay? What God calls us to do is primarily based upon what God has done, which is what makes Christianity just so different from any other religion or philosophy or worldview, right? Everyone else is going to tell you, hey, you do this in order to get whatever deity you worship to do that, And Christianity says, no, that is false. The Bible says, God did this, therefore you go and do that what we should do is primarily based upon what God has done, okay? And so we have to understand that when we come to the commands of God, like a command to walk in Him, what we should do has to be based upon what God has done. And so we're going to focus in a little later on on what it looks like to walk in Him, But in order to have a proper view of what we are to do, we must first understand what God has done, which we talked some of that in the intro as I went through kind of the gospel story and our redemptive story. But look at the start of verse 6, in chapter 2, verse 6, because Paul's proclamation as he he gives Jesus these titles, he's proclaiming what God has done, all right? So look at verse 6. He writes, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. Okay, look at those three names, those three titles, Christ, Jesus, and Lord. These three titles are proclaiming what God has done. These three titles are significant. And so let's look at each of these three and understand what they are proclaiming that God has done. So first, let's talk about Christ. All right. Uh, Christ is not Jesus's last name, which can often be confusing, right? We, we often hear, you know, Jesus Christ. And on Sundays, it's a worshipful thing. Throughout the week, it's a curse word when we hear it, right? But Christ is not his last name. It's actually a title of significance, meaning the anointed one. Or in the Old Testament, it was the word Messiah, Essentially, saying he's the one we've been waiting for that is going to rescue and restore creation. He's the one we've been waiting for to to restore God's good world. He's the rescuer, the Christ, the Messiah. And God had provided a Christ, a Messiah, in the person and work of Jesus. That's something that God had done. It was, you know, all throughout the Old Testament, we saw things pointing to that a Messiah was coming, and God did provide one. So that's Christ. Then we look at Jesus, all right? Jesus is his personal name. It's what uh, Mary and Joseph were instructed by God to put on the birth certificate, right? Jesus. Uh, it's the Greek name for the Hebrew name Joshua which means the Lord is salvation. The Lord is salvation. And so just saying the name Jesus, if you understand what it means, you are proclaiming what God has done. When you say Jesus, you're saying the Lord saves. The Lord is salvation. And then we look at the title Lord. For the Colossians to declare that Jesus was Lord... That took for them a lot of courage and something even supernatural in their heart to be able to proclaim that Jesus was Lord, because in that time, most people considered Caesar to be Lord. And so this would be something that the early Christians would have to proclaim publicly, typically at their baptism, that Jesus was Lord. And by doing that, they were essentially saying that Caesar was not. To really declare that Jesus is Lord is to bend your knee to his rightful rule and reign over your life. And if you have truly done this, like not just lip service, but actual heart service, if you've truly done this, you've bent your knee to the Lordship of Christ, that is evidence that God has done a miraculous work in your heart. Because in our sin, we... We've rebelled against God's reign and rule, but in our conversion, in our salvation, we come back to him. Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12, verse three, First Corinthians 12, verse 3, he says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So remember, what what we should do is primarily based upon what God has done. For them to declare that Jesus is Lord is evidence of what God has already done in their heart. He's enabled them to bend their knee to the rightful rule and reign of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ, Jesus, Lord. Now for some of you, It's going to be really difficult to do what Paul is calling you to do next, to walk in Christ. And the reason that it's going to be difficult is because you either have never received Christ, therefore it's going to be impossible to walk in Christ, or you have forgotten what he has done for you okay? Because what we should do, remember, right, is primarily based upon what God has done. But if you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, meaning that you have believed that the Lord is salvation, and you have trusted that Jesus is the anointed one, the rescuer we've been waiting for, and you've bowed your knee to his lordship, then that is evidence that he has filled you with the Holy Spirit and united you with Christ. It's what theologians call our union with Christ, And we have to bring up our union with Christ because we can only walk in Him if we understand that God has united us with Him. Right? He's not not saying walk with Jesus or walk alongside Jesus or walk in the same vicinity of Jesus. He's talking about walking in Christ. We can only walk in Him if we understand that God has united us with Him. But here's what I fear. I fear that many of us and many of our friends and our family and many of the Christians that we know around us, I fear that they were preached a superficial gospel. I fear they were offered cheap grace. I fear that they were falsely assured that by raising a hand or walking an aisle that they could obtain a get-out-of-hell-free card. And so, what did many of them do? They invited Jesus into their life. Now listen, church. Church. God certainly does fill us with his Holy Spirit. And so there is an aspect of us inviting Jesus into our life, okay? That, that, is, that is okay terminology to use. There is an aspect of that, of us inviting Jesus into our life. But listen, biblical Christianity church is not primarily us inviting Jesus into our life. It is Jesus inviting us into his Biblical, Christi- I'll say it again, biblical Christianity is not primarily us inviting Jesus into our life. It is Jesus inviting us into his. And so if you miss that, if you miss that, your walk in Christ is going to be all out of whack. It's going to be filled with frustrations and confusing things. You're not going to be able to walk in Christ if you don't really understand how you received him. You want to know why you've been spiritually immature for 20 years? You want to know why most churches can only tolerate baby food type teaching? You want to know why we're surrounded in a culture of like youth group 2.0 churches, right? It's because we receive, We didn't understand how we received Christ. Christ, right? If you received Christ to come be a part of your life, then that's how your walk is going to play itself out. If you received Christ to come be a part of your life, then your walk in Christ is going to look a lot more like Jesus. You know, Jesus, can you just come behind me and clean up my mess? Jesus, can you just come alongside me and help me out when I really need your help? Can you just kind of be that genie in the bottle I can go to when I really need you? But biblical Christianity is not primarily us inviting Jesus into our lives. It is Jesus inviting us into his. My family, we recently took a day trip to uh, Brown County. And, uh, we hiked a couple of trails. Maybe some of you have been doing this while everything else is closed. It's, uh, that's one thing that has been nice to do, to get out in the fresh air and hike. And, uh, so one of the trails we hiked around was Ogle Lake, and, uh, it was a little over a mile long. Uh, I see some other Ogle Lakers over there. All right. Nice. Yes. Um, It was a little over a mile long, and so Britt and I knew, you know, for us, we'd be able to handle that, hopefully. Our older boys would be able to handle that. Uh, But we were also taking Joel, okay, who is two, and we weren't sure how he was going to do on the trail, and I was uh, ready and prepared to carry him most of the way if we needed to. And so let's, for a minute, let's try to get into Joel's kind of mindset and see things from his perspective for a little bit, okay? He's two, all right? He's two. Thus far in life, he has contributed very little to the beginning part of his life, okay? Like, little contribution at all, all right? And this is—Joel, I'm not knocking you if you're watching at home, all right? I'm not knocking you, but just there's been—he hasn't really— contributed much, right? Like he didn't contribute at all to his birth, right? He was, he was uh, less of a help even than I was at that point, right? He, he didn't do anything. He, he doesn't contribute at all to life at home, right? I mean, we feed him, we clothe him, we bathe him, we house him, we wipe his nose and his butt, all right? And then we get to this hiking trip, and we invited him to go hiking with us, we drove him to the trail. We set him on the trail. And then we get to the difficult parts with huge stairs and and trees and roots and, and mud and the lake right there, all the parts that I knew he could get hurt on. And I would go to help him or carry him. And you know what he would do? He would slap my hand and say, no, I do it. I mean, we've got, we've got mud pits that his older brothers are like falling in and just covered in mud. I'm trying to carry him over. No, I do it. We've got 30 stairs that we're trying to go up with the lake right behind us, and I go to get him, and he slaps my hand. No, I do it. And this is a guy who just now has sort of mastered like 10 carpeted stairs at home, and he sees this huge flight of stairs, slaps my hand, and says, no, I do it. Now listen, I love Joel's tenacity, okay? I, loved, I really do. I love Joel's tenacity there. But isn't this what we do with God? I mean, we're all for him, saving us by grace through faith. But then when it comes to living life and continuing with him, we say, no, I do it. And how much heartache, how much turmoil, how much despair and discouragement is experienced in the Christian life from us not continuing in the same way that we began. We began new life in Christ by God's grace through faith. Therefore, we must continue in Christ by God's grace through faith. We must continue like we began. And you would have thought the way Joel was acting that it was his hike that he had invited me to be a small part of. And he would fuss and he would whine and he would throw temper tantrums when things didn't go the way that he wanted to and little did he realize that it would have been a much more joyful experience for him to realize that this was actually his parents' hike that he had been invited to in order to spend family time together. Not for me and him to be half a mile away from the rest of the family and him crying and fussing at me. And in the same way, if you merely received Christ to come be a part of your life, then that's how your Christian walk is going to play out. And you'll probably fuss, and you'll probably whine, and you'll probably throw temper tantrums when things don't go the way that you want them to go, and you'll miss out on the much more joyful experience of realizing that Christianity is not primarily us inviting Jesus into our life. It is Jesus inviting us into His because He wants to be with us, and He knows that we will flourish. We were made to flourish in His presence, but we refuse to trust, rely, and depend upon Upon him. Well we'll, well, we'll come back to Joel and the hiking experience here in a little bit, but what does it look like to walk in Christ? All right, what, what does it look like to walk in Christ? I mean, that sounds like a nice concept, but it's hard to really grasp what that looks like. And I think Paul knew that it was a hard concept to grasp, how to walk in Christ. And so he gives us a few illustrations here to help us understand what it means. Because remember, we're not simply walking with Christ or alongside Christ, we are walking in Christ. And he gives us three illustrations to help us out. Look back at Colossians 2, verse 6. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul here gives three illustrations. Number one, rooted. Rooted, right? Which gives us the imagery of a tree whose roots are going deep into the soil, dependent upon the soil for life and stability. He gives us the illustration of being built up, okay? So the, it, it kind of switches from uh, uh, agriculture to more of a, a building under construction, right? It, we are being built up. And the third illustration then is established in the faith, which in the English, we kind of lose the meaning a little bit. This was actually a legal term, okay? It was giving the image of a settled legal document. We'll, We'll come back to that in a second. But think first about being rooted first. As we think about what it looks like to walk in Christ, it says that we are rooted in him. When we were pulling weeds at our house a couple of weeks ago, uh, some of the weeds came up really easy, right? They had really shallow roots, and you could just pluck them right out of the ground. Then we got to other weeds uh, that we hadn't gotten to in maybe a year Or two or three. And those roots were extensive, right? They were deep, they were spread out, and those were hard to pull up. We essentially had to get a shovel and actually dig them out, right? Deep roots give some stability to the plant, they are dependent upon those roots. Think about a bad storm that you're watching, and the wind is just blowing everything around. It's blowing, uh, you know, uh, uh, roof shingles off. It's blowing everything else around. And then picture that big, mature, healthy tree with deep, strong roots, and it's just standing strong in the midst of the wind and the storm. That should be a picture of what a mature Christian who is rooted in the good soil of Christ looks like right? When everything's going chaotic, when everything's blowing all around, aka like the world we live in right now, right? When that's all happening, the Christian should be unwavering and secure and nourished because their dependence is not in something that the wind can't affect. Their dependence, their dependence rather, their roots are in the good soil of Christ. But if you're not rooted in Christ, if you're not rooted in Christ, then you have to find some things to prop yourself up with, right? So now picture the baby tree, right? You've seen those little twig trees that, uh, that then have to be propped up by two sticks next to them that are actually bigger than the tree itself, right? They don't, they don't have deep roots yet, so they have to be propped up. Someone who does not have deep roots in Christ, they have to prop themselves up with things. If, if you're not rooted in Christ, you have to prop yourself up with the success of the economy. If you're not rooted in Christ, you have to prop yourself up with the success of your political party. If you're not rooted in Christ, you have to prop yourself up with maybe some man-made religion or tradition or with power or with control. But the person that is rooted in Christ is not dependent upon those things to stand and be propped up by. Someone who is walking in Christ is therefore solely dependent on Christ alone, stable and secure and nourished, even on the windiest of days. And Paul writes, continue with Christ like you began with Christ. You began with Christ, completely dependent upon him for salvation. You must therefore continue with Christ, completely dependent upon him. Look then at the second illustration. Paul switches right from from the image of a tree with roots to a construction illustration. Okay, He says that we are to be rooted in him and built up in him. Now, certainly the image of being built up in him, it's, it's this image of, you know, that Christ is the foundation, the solid foundation that we are built upon. But we also get from this that to be built up in him, it gives the idea and it, it teaches the truth that, that currently you are under construction. This is, a, this, is a, this is a construction project. You're being built up. And that's a good truth to remember, church. Because don't we often beat ourselves up and beat up one another because we're not finished products? When Britt and I were in high school, uh, for most of the four years that we were there, our school was under major construction. Uh, It eventually became a really nice, big, new, nice school but essentially we went to school in a construction zone, all right? And so it often, you know, we'd be walking next to all the construction workers. They would usually have hard hats on, which always was like, hey, should, should we have hard hats on? Like, like they're all working and concerned about stuff, right? But 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 here we are just kind of alongside them. And so there would be different parts of the school that would just be drywall with no paint. The, the floors would be unfinished. The, the ceilings would be exposed. Wires would be exposed. But that it was just under that, hey, this is is under construction, right? No one was going in like critiquing every detail that wasn't in place. You just understood. You just gave grace because you knew, hey, this is under construction. This is a work in progress. To walk in Christ, to be built up in Him, is to understand that you and the brother or sister sitting next to you is under construction. This is in progress. We are not yet what we are becoming. And so when you enter into this church family, it better be with a hard hat on and a whole lot of grace and love because things are going to get messy. (laughs) And if they weren't messy before you came, they're certainly messy now that you're here, right? It's like like, like things are going to get messy. Real life is going to happen, and we maybe even need a sign out front that says, warning, Christians under construction. A mature believer, walking in Christ, continuing how they began, can be freed from the soul-draining critical spirit that just drains their soul of energy and drains the energy out from everyone else around them. Have you guys experienced this? A critical spirit, it just sucks the life out of a room. It sucks the life out of a, a, a church. It sucks the life out of a city group. But no, in the same way that we had to rely on Christ for our salvation we must understand that we must rely on Christ to be built up and to progress in the faith and we are not yet what we are becoming and we can be freed from a critical spirit looking at ourselves or at the brother and sister next to us. Is this maybe why you have no joy? could this maybe be why you are not maturing in Christ? You have not yet understood or rested in the fact that to walk in him is to be under construction. It is to be built up by Christ. Then then look at the next illustration that Paul, he switches to another one. He says then, established in the faith, Established in the faith. This is giving us the picture of a document of ownership being signed. All right? Like when you sign for your house or when you sign for your car, right? Through faith in Christ, God has legally signed and said that you are mine. He's put his seal of ownership on you through faith. Doesn't this then help us walk in him with joy and with trust? Like he's not trying you out. He's not interviewing you. Your walk in Christ is not just like a, hey, let's see how this goes. No, through faith, you have been made his and he has been made yours. You do not know you no longer need to walk anxiously or fearfully, fearing that what you received in Christ is going to be taken away from you. No, through faith in Christ, God says, signed, and I'm just going to say it, it's already there, sealed, delivered, right? All right, Q. Stevie, right? We don't have it ready, but if we did, it would have been good, right? God says, signed, sealed, delivered, what's the next word? I'm yours, I'm yours yeah. Established in the faith, through faith, you have been made God's. We began a new life in Christ by God's grace through faith. Therefore, we must continue in Christ by God's grace through faith. We walk in him. Let's cover these illustrations real quick. We walk in him through faith, fully dependent and rooted in him. We walk in Him through faith, being gracious towards one another and ourselves, as we rely that He will, as we rely on Him, that He will complete the construction project He started. We walk in Him through faith, fully assured and trusting in Him that what we have received will not be taken from us, because we are His and He is ours. Church, you did not primarily invite Christ to come supplement your life. He invited you into His. So enjoy living in His presence. Enjoy becoming more like Him and being about what He is about. And through faith, trusting Him with every step of your journey, continue with Christ like you began with Christ. God justified us through faith, and he will sanctify us through faith. We must continue like we began. And so how's it going, church? Are you walking in him? Are you living a joyful and a flourishing life, walking in Christ? And if you're unsure as to how it's going, Paul's going to help us out. All right, he's going to give us a little diagnostic test, a little self-assessment to see how well we are walking in him. So look back at Colossians 2, and he's going to give us something that will really, I think, bring light to our own, our own hearts to know how, we, how well we are doing. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You see, the first three words that Paul uses to describe our walk in Christ, rooted, built up, and established, they're all passive meaning that it is ultimately God who is the one doing and empowering those works. But now we get to an active word, okay? So if you've been sitting around, like you're, you're the person like, yeah, I just tell me what to do, tell me what to do, tell me what to do, right? Okay, here's your part, here's your time, here's your test. A mature Christian, a Christian who is walking in Christ and continuing like they began, they are, look at the, verse, at the end of verse 7, they are abounding in thanksgiving. Overflowing with thanksgiving. They are spilling over with gratitude. They've got so much gratitude in their heart, it's just overflowing onto everyone around them. And so as we're about to enter into a time of of reflection and examination as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, here's where you need to do some self-evaluation. Here's where you need to ask the Spirit to really search out your heart. Are you abounding in thanksgiving? I mean, if you are really continuing with Christ like you began with Christ— And if salvation is of the Lord, and if we're rooted and dependent upon Him, and if He's the one building us up, and if He's legally sealed us and called us His own, and if God justified us through faith, and He will sanctify us through faith, then shouldn't our lives be overflowing with thanksgiving? Brennan Manning, he once wrote this. He said, uh, let's say I interviewed 10 people asking each the same question, do you trust God? And each answered, yes, I trust God. But nine of the 10 actually did not trust God. How would I find out which one of the ragamuffins was telling the truth? This is what he says he'll do. And this is, we're we're not gonna do this, but maybe we could, we got a new camera. So uh, he said, I would videotape each one of the 10 lives for a month. And then after watching the videos, pass judgment using this criterion. The person with an abiding spirit of gratitude is the one who trusts God. The foremost quality of a trusting disciple is gratefulness. The foremost quality of a trusting disciple is gratefulness. And I wonder what's keeping you from overflowing with thankful hearts. The foremost quality of a trusting disciple is gratefulness. Let's go back to the hike. Okay, we're hiking with Joel. We finally made it around uh, the lake. Uh, he continues to hit my hand away and say, no, I do it. No, I do it. Uh, I'm always typically two steps ahead of him the whole time trying to help him over some things. And he keeps saying, no, I do it. No, I do it. And I'm thinking in my head, like, son, I've already done it. Just let me help you. I've already done this. You don't need to do it. I've already done it. I didn't invite you on this hike for you to prove something to me. I invited you on this hike to be with with me and to be with the family because right now you're not even hiking with your brothers because you have to do everything for yourself and finally we get to the end of the hike and there's a huge flight of stairs leading back to the parking lot so we're almost there everyone's a little tired and exhausted I think including Joel and he looks at the stairs and he looks at me and finally he puts up his hands, and he says, Thank you, Daddy. <laughs> and I carried him up the stairs, and it was great. We went and got pizza. It was awesome. <laughs> but isn't that how we mature in Christ? We, we've been invited into the life of Christ, and in our immaturity, we struggle, and we fight, and we still want to be self-reliant, and self-dependent, and self-sufficient. Yes, we know salvation was of the Lord, and all by God's grace through faith, but now we want to live the rest of our life by our own power, and by our own strength, and we say, no God, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. But then after a while... After God allows us to go through some hardships and some trials and some loss, and we've tired ourselves out, we see that a life lived following Jesus is not one that is trying to earn or prove anything. No, a life that is walking in Him is a life that has submitted to His Lordship and has rested in His work and is entirely dependent and built and assured by Him, and all that is left for us to do is to say, Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Oh, church, may we be a church that would walk in Christ, that would be abounding in thanksgiving, hearts that are just overflowing with gratitude. And may we continue how we began. Let's pray.